Good morning to you. Been a great time of worship, hadn't it? Man. Let's look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Uh, let me, again, encourage you to join us uh, this afternoon as uh, we <clears throat> have a special time uh, with Pastor John. The writer of Hebrews says, remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Uh, <clears throat> and he's done that. John has done that for us through the years, uh, <clears throat> through the, the youth, uh, church settings like this from time to time. And uh, <clears throat> his work continues to go on uh, after he has uh, found a place of service somewhere else. But we are thankful uh, for what has uh, taken place uh, as he has proclaimed the word of God and lived the word of God before us. And uh, we are grateful for that. Uh, <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, let's begin with verse 32. Let's begin with verse 32 there. <clears throat> and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to uh, each as any had need. Uh, you know, if you're familiar with or remember your American history, uh, you may remember and may know that there was only one president of the United States that was born in what is now the state of South Carolina. Uh, this guy was a rugged individual. Uh, he, was, he was tough as nails. Uh, he, uh, he had a constitution like hickory wood. And so, they gave him a nickname. It wasn't the name his parents gave him, but they gave him a new name of Old Hickory because it just matched his character. He was just that kind of person. Andrew was what his parents named him, Andrew Jackson. But he was known as Old Hickory because he had a very prominent characteristic about him that people just couldn't overlook. He was just tough as nails. You move on a little bit further in the history of our, our own nation, <clears throat> and uh, there was Thomas Jackson. <clears throat> uh, somebody looked at him, him in his battles one day and said, man, that guy doesn't know the meaning of the word retreat. Look at him. He just stands there like a stone wall, and that name just stuck. His parents gave him the name Thomas Jonathan, <laughs> but he was known as Stonewall Jackson. There was a characteristic about him. <laughs> that was so prominent, it just called out for a name change. But you know, that practice goes all the way back to the Bible. You, know, you go all the way back to the Old Testament. <clears throat> you remember Jacob? Jacob's, that name means deceiver or trickster or cheater. <laughs> and that pretty much, we got any Jacobs here? No, I mean your name, Jacob. I don't mean cheaters or tricksters. I didn't think y'all would make that kind of confession. No, no Jacobs here? 
what about uh, any Jameses here? Man, y'all's parents were very, oh, here we go. That's the same word, same name, by the way. One of them's just Greek, one of them's Hebrew. <clears throat> so don't turn your back, you know, trickster, deceiver. But you remember what happened to Jacob there? In the, and by the way, I got a son named Jacob. And my mother asked me, why are you going to name him that? When I told her what it meant. And I said, well, Mom, it's actually the only name in the Bible that is actually called the person by name and says God loved him. Jacob have I loved. (laughs) But, you know, that old trickster and deceiver, he had an encounter with God one day. And it changed his character. His life was never the same. And he got a name change, too, to go along with it. He's not going to be called Jacob any longer. He's going to be called Israel. That means one who strives with God. And then you jump all the way over to the New Testament. You remember Jesus was out walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw some fishermen there. Now, there wasn't much in them and their characteristic to commend themselves to Jesus. But he called one of them by name. He said, Simon, follow me. And he said, by the way, your name's not going to be Simon anymore. It's going to be Petros, rock. Now, there was nothing in Peter at that time, in Simon, that looked anything like he was going to be a rock. But Jesus was making a prophetic statement in changing his name. One day, that's what you're going to be. He had his name changed to match his character. Well, we actually see the same thing happen in this passage. If you look at the next couple of verses, it says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means the son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land and sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was a guy that got his name. His name was Joseph. Joseph's a good, do we have any Josephs here? Any Josephs? Man, ah, there we are, Joseph or Joes, okay. Folks, there's nothing wrong with the name Joseph. They, did, they, would, they didn't have a problem with the name Joseph. That was a time-honored name. <clears throat> well, if you go all the way back, remember the son of Jacob that was faithful in the midst of all the injustices that, that he incurred. But through his faithfulness, God used him to bring uh, 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 physical salvation to the entire nation. And then if you remember as you move on to the New Testament, the husband of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, his name was Joseph. That's a great name to have. Uh, the, The apostles didn't have a problem that this man was named Joseph. They just said it doesn't fit him. This fellow has such a characteristic about him, a characteristic that is so prominent in his life We're just going to have to give him a new name that matches it. And what was it? It says that name means a son of encouragement. This man had a gift about him and a characteristic about him that everybody noticed. And that is he was always an encourager to other people. He had a ministry of encouragement. And folks, let me assure you, that is a ministry. 
to encourage other people. What does that mean to encourage? It means to inspire someone to, to action or inspire hope in a person. To inspire hope in a person that leads them to further action. It's to encourage someone, and that's what this man, the gift that he had. They gave him a new name, and I like to say it this way. He never forgot that name. He never forgot to live up to it. As you see him and his appearance in the stories in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you see he never forgot that name. He always lived up to this ministry of encouragement. Now, Let's notice in verses 32 through 35 there, we sort of get the background of this action that he performed that called attention to people and encouraged them. You see, the background of this is they had just experienced Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was one of the uh, feast days, religious days of, uh, of the Jewish people. Uh, it's called Pentecost because that's the word meaning 50. Pentecost means 50. 50 days after the Passover, they had Pentecost. And so there were a lot of Jews from all over the area that were in Jerusalem for uh, that feast day and that religious celebration. And you know, that's when the Holy Spirit chose to fall upon them, the disciples. And the disciples preached. You remember, Peter preached what must have been a pretty good sermon. 3,000 people heard it and were saved and turned to their belief in Jesus. Okay, Greatest. And so the problem is you have a lot of Jewish people that are now converted to Christ and they're not ready to go home. They need further training. We need to understand more about Jesus. Well, the problem is who's going to take care of these people? And so there, was, there were financial problems for the church. In fact, it lasted on for years. If you remember Paul on his third missionary journey, you remember he was preaching the gospel, but everywhere he went on that third missionary journey, he took up an offering for the church at Jerusalem. They had become poverty-stricken, and so they were sharing with one another, and that's the background of this entire story. Uh, what does Joseph do that gets his name changed to Barnabas? But I want you to notice how I love how the, the, the text develops this. Because if you look again in verses 32 through 35, he first of all just makes a general statement about people were selling their goods and stuff and giving them to the poor. That's a general statement, and, and that's good. But in verses 36 and 37, I love this. He gives us a personal model of it. You see, that is what people need is not just to hear words, but to see it modeled. Okay? And, and, and he tells us in those verses, hey man, uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They were all in one accord. They were sharing with one another, and that's great. But isn't it great when he says, let me give you an example. Let me show you. Folks, words are great tools of communication. But it doesn't matter how powerfully words are, are spoken or how eloquently they are conveyed or how clearly they are illustrated they just can't beat somebody with a personal example of it who's living it out. You know, it's, it's one thing for us to hear somebody speak the Word of God to us, but when we hear it coming from, I don't know how, we were here the other week when we had our missionaries from, uh, uh, from Africa. 
that were telling their story. Folks, they weren't just telling a story about how experiences are happening over there. They actually had embodied it. They had experienced that. And when they talk about personal experience, it just adds an entirely different dimension to the entire episode. And so the Lord here not only tells us what was going on, he gives us a positive example of it. Now the downside of it is, if you look into chapter 5, which we're not going to do, he also gives another example. Here's an example of how not to do it. That was Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? Uh, their, their deception and their greed could have destroyed the church. But it's a reminder to us, folks, that even in those days, can you imagine in these days where the, the Holy Spirit was being poured out on those people and they were standing in such unity and they were seeing the power of God as the, as the disciples preached the death and resurrection of our Lord, then in the midst of that, there would be people who would be seeking to deceive the church, you know, to lie to the church and have this sin of pride, look at us at how, can you imagine that? While all that was going on, well, folks, listen, the church has always been that way. Um, when, when people that are of a secular mindset point out to you the failures of the church, don't be surprised and don't try to defend us because we're sinners, okay? Folks, there's, there's two kinds of people in the world. Both of them are sinners. They're saved sinners and they're lost sinners. The difference in us and everybody else is that we're saved sinners, but we're not perfect. And I've heard people say, well, I'll tell you, I wish we could just get back with the church like it was in that first century. I thought, what Bible are you reading? <laughs> you know, that church in the first century had all kinds of problems. We have all kinds of problems today because we are imperfect. But what we're inviting people to is a perfect Savior. And one day, as that hymn says, he saves his church to where they sin no more. That's not yet. <laughs> you know, the church is imperfect. We're not thankful for that. We're not glad of that. But we're just sure glad God's not through with us yet. And we are going to be one day everything he intended for us to be. But we're not that now, and that's why we need each other. And that's why we need to be in the process of growing in grace. This was not a perfect church. That was the background of all this. But I want you to notice the encouragement that takes place here. Folks, encouragement is a vital ministry. It is a vital ministry. And that is because encouragement is a vital ingredient to usefulness. Folks, people will not be useful in anything if they're discouraged. That's why uh, you'll have, and it's usually according to the kind of job it is, but in some kind of jobs, one thing an interviewer is going to want to know, and when they're looking for references, they're going to ask a question like, is this person easily discouraged? Because we're getting ready to hire this person in a job where they could get easily discouraged. If they are easily discouraged, we're probably not going to be able to use them. Why? Because nobody is going to be effective if they're discouraged. Okay? If, we're, if we're hiring them to be a salesman or a saleswoman, 
And, and they go for a week or two weeks, and they don't make a sale, and all of a sudden, well, I just don't have what it takes. Or I did have what it takes, and now I've lost it, you know? How do, and, and then they'll probably be going to somebody, you, you don't want to buy my product, do you? <laughs> you know? Uh, well... Well, folks, people get discouraged. They're never going to be, and that happens, by the way, and you can look at a, man, we're in football season. Look at these football coaches who's lost some games. You know, oh, we're probably never going to win another one. I've lost my touch. I'm not a good leader anymore. That person's not going to be effective if they're discouraged. And, folks, it can happen even to God's people. Think about back in the Old Testament of, of Elijah. And how that great experience, one of the highlights, probably the highlight of his life, that showdown on Mount Carmel with those prophets of Baal. Remember that great experience. And then right after that, he falls into depression and discouragement. And he says, Lord, I'm probably the only one left in Israel that's serving you. God had to tell him, that's not true. There's many more, okay? He needed to be. So how effective was he when he was under that juniper tree thinking he was going to die and never going to be used of God again? This same man. Folks, people need encouragement. They need to be. And everybody needs it. And we're going to see it's something that all of us can do. Now, you know, I, I like things sometimes. What is it that causes people to get discouraged? Folks, a lot of times it's the circumstances, you know. If everything's going great, we seldom are. are. But you know, folks, a lot of times, and we need to just face it, sometimes it's just our own personal constitution. You know, people are just different. <laughs> you know, there are, uh, you ever remember, you remember studying in psychology when they, they talked about these personality types? Some of them were called melancholic. You remember those? They're the, they're the sad ones all the time. <laughs> Everything is just about doom. <laughs> You know, and, and, and then you've got the sanguine was on the other, other side. Boy, everything is just always great. Um, some of you younger folks and maybe some of you older ones can remember. Uh, how many of you watched old Winnie the Pooh? Anybody watch Winnie the Pooh? You remember that? You remember Tigger on there? You know, I'd watch Tigger for about two minutes and I'd just get tired watching him. I mean, he was just bouncing around all the time. He was just happy, joyous. I mean, everything's great. It doesn't matter how bad they are. He was just bouncing and having a great time. That's sanguine, okay? Look, some people are just that way, and I, I admire that, you know? Now, the downside of that kind of person is a lot of times they don't face the truth. There's some bad things there, and they're just ignoring them because they're just going to be happy it doesn't matter what. Well, that may not be good, but then... Do you remember the donkey? Eeyore? Eeyore? Oh, it doesn't matter how good things are. Everything's bad. Oh, if it's raining, we're going to flood and all of us are going to drown. You know? If the sun's shining, we're all going to get sunburned and the crops are going to get scorched. If it's just a perfect day, well, it, this can't last. Bad things are always happening. You've, folks, you've met people like that. I mean, that, folks, a lot of it's just personality. And, and, and that's why some people may need encouraging more than other people do. And then those sanguine people sometimes need to be reminded, hey, there are real problems here, and you can't ignore them and think they're going to go away. But folks, God just made us different. And sometimes the problem with dis discouragement is just our own constitution. That's just the way we are. But 
it's not always that way. <laughs> Folks, it, it can be, and I think particularly we need to always look back and see the work of Satan behind something. The biggest discourager in all the universe is none other than Satan himself. If God's people are discouraged, we may isolate certain reasons why, but let me tell you something. Behind every bit of it is the work of Satan because he knows discouragement will bring the work to a halt. It always does. It's, a, it's necessary for perseverance. Remember in, in the book of Nehemiah, they were supposed to be building a wall around Jerusalem. And uh, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, describe that the working on the wall came to a halt. And it's because the people were discouraged. There were two things discouraging them. One is just there was so much rubbish still in the area, they couldn't get it removed so they could actually get back to building the wall. There's just too much work. We don't have enough help. Folks, does that tell you one way we can all get together and help people sometimes that's got too much on them? We can all get together and join together. And but that was their problem. We just don't have enough help. And the second, there it was, our enemies, they keep coming in, and when we build something, they tear it down. Folks, wouldn't that get discouraging? You do a day's work, you come back the next day, and what you did was torn down, and you're starting all the way over again. You're about treading water. We're working every day and not getting in. That's why Nehemiah had to come in and take care of both of those problems. Because those were problems that were leading the people to be discouraged. And when they were discouraged, they were not effective. And in that case, they quit building the wall. Encouragement is absolutely necessary. Or you see the great leaders of the Bible, including Nehemiah, they were encouragers. They knew how to inspire hope in people. And the kind of hope that inspired them to action. And we see this in Barnabas. We see it in his life to the point that the apostles say, we just got to name him Mr. Encouragement. You know, that's, that's what he is. Well, I want you to notice what this text does. What does he do in this text to where they wanted to say of him, man, you're just an encourager. We're just going to have to give you that name. I want you to notice, first of all, because we're going to see this, it wasn't just one thing that he did. The one thing appears here in this passage, but encouragement for him was a way of life. It was a lifestyle. It was something that was just sort of on his mind all the time. And I don't know those people that have that gift of encouragement. I'll speak about that in a moment. You know, I don't know if they actually think about that or since it's a spiritual gift, they just go around doing it all the time and don't even realize that's what they did. You know, they just encourage people. That's just... That's just who they are. It's just part of their DNA. Well, it wasn't a, a single act here. Remember, I said he's a man that never forgot his name. They said, you're Mr. Encouragement, and he never forgot that. And you see that over and over again. But notice what it was here that was an encouragement to people. It was his generosity. His generosity. It had to do, in this case, with money. <clears throat> Folks, money, remember, can cause all kinds of evil, the Scripture says. But money, just like it says here, when used rightly, can do an awful lot of good. It's according to how we choose to use it. And when we look here what he did, 
this is stewardship. Remember, these people, many of them were hungry. Their parents, their families had turned them out when they found out they had left that Jewish faith and moved on to some Christian faith. They, they, don't you think that could get discouraging? Man, I might have lost my job. I'm here trying to learn about Jesus before I go back home, and we don't even know where our next meal is coming from. And here's a guy who comes forward and sells probably an extra house that he has and some land and just brings it to them and says, distribute it among the people. Folks, you see why that would encourage people? This guy, here's I think the most encouraging thing, is this guy actually believes in us. Here's a testimony that he actually believes what this stuff's all about, and his faith fuels our faith. But now, it may have been that any given person in that congregation didn't get a penny of that money. They may not have got any of that. But they still were encouraged by it. Because here's a guy who's putting his money where his mouth is. He really believes in us to the point that he's willing to sacrifice for this thing for which we are living. Folks, you can't, is that not an encouragement? Folks, we, we have people... <clears throat> when I went to North Greenville University 32 years ago, almost 32 years ago, uh, we had 329 students. We were in debt $3 million. Every building on campus leaked. Uh, the people in maintenance, I don't know why they stayed there. You ought to see how they had to rig things. They didn't have any money. It was awful. It was awful. There's a lot of people who wouldn't give us the time of day, much less money to do something with. And folks, yet, there were people who came along and gave sometimes small gifts. Some of them were in this church. Some gave big gifts. Some of them were in this church. They gave big gifts. Folks, I never got a penny of it. I didn't get a penny of that money. It wasn't for me. I was on a salary. I was going to get what I was going to get. But you know what? When they gave that money, it encouraged me. Because it told me there were people there who believed in us. People are behind us. They believe what we believe. They believe in the truth of the gospel. And you see, we decided at North Greenville that many 30, 31 years ago, 32 years ago, we had lost our spiritual vision. It was lost. And what we decided is if we were going to go under, we were going to go under doing the right thing rather than the wrong thing. And we restored that vision that the founders of that uni university or college had, even high school back in those days. And God blessed it. But he blessed it because he sent people along that believed in us. And I'll tell you, in dark, dark days, that encouraged us. And it encouraged these people in this day. Giving, giving. Folks, people give different ways. Some people don't have a lot of money to give. You know what some other people give? They give their time and their resources. And you know, that encouraged... I, 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 was, I was handed a, a thing from Wednesday night. I think y'all are going to be discussing it some more on the properties. I looked through that and saw, I don't know what you call it, the properties committee or whatever, that had gone through and done their studying and making recommendations. And I thought, man, look at this. It took somebody some time to do this. You know, this didn't just happen. These are people who believe in what we're doing. They believe in the message of the gospel. 
They're pouring their lives and their time and their talent into who we are. And folks, that ought to be an encouragement to you. It certainly was an encouragement to me when I saw it. But it was through his stewardship. But folks, remember, I said it wasn't just one time. As you go on through, as you go on through the book of Acts, I want you to see that he encouraged people by letting them know he had faith and confidence in them. Folks, you can have faith and confidence in people that Jesus has saved and regenerated and put a new heart in them and are living for Jesus. He had faith in people. Uh, if you look over in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, you know, that, that tells us about that conversion experience of Saul of Tarsus. But folks, you've got to remember what old Saul of Tarsus had been doing up to that time. He had been persecuting and killing Christians. I imagine those people in that day thought there was never a chance of a guy like that being saved. You ever looked at anybody, and let's just be honest, I'll be honest with you, I have. It's a lack of faith. But have you ever thought of somebody or knew somebody and you knew them so long and you just said, there's no hope for that person anymore. There's just no hope. It's just too bad. You know, and God's sitting there saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know, not a problem for God. But who would have thought Saul of Tarsus? And yet, that's what happens. And, and he gets converted. And if, if you look at uh, uh, chapter 9, look at verse uh, 26. Now, he had been preaching a little bit, and then he came to Jerusalem. He was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. Well, no wonder. He had been out killing people, killing Christians, and now, oh, he got converted. He wants to come to some of our meetings, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Watch him take out his little pen and pad and start taking names here. Yeah, we've seen this kind of thing before. They didn't want anything to do with him. But folks, somebody came to his aid. Somebody, when he could have just got despondent and said, well, I give up. Wouldn't it have been bad if Paul the apostle would have just given up right there? He said, nobody trusts me. But boy, look in verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem to associate, they wouldn't have anything to do with him. I love verse 27. But Barnabas. I like that. But Barnabas. You'd expect that out of him with a guy named Encouragement. And notice what he does. He took hold of him and he brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He came to his aid and encouraged him and inspired him to keep on. And the apostles said, well, okay, we'll hear him out. And instead of losing the apostle Paul's ministry, look what they gained. But you know, later on, Paul was sort of forgotten. And, and he, he went back to his hometown. And something very interesting happens, if you'll notice, in Acts 11. In Acts 11, persecution had started. And so the apostles had to start leaving Jerusalem and scattering out, and they went to some different cities and began to spread the gospel there. And in verse 19 of chapter 11, this is what happens at Antioch. So those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred with the connection of Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, 
speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. They were evangelizing Jews at that point. But there were some men of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So they started preaching to the Gentiles. Boy, look what happens. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. In other words, here's what they're saying. We're having so many believers up here at Antioch. We need help. We need somebody that will help us grow these Christians. We're needing help. And so what did they do? They sent Barnabas. Okay. They sent him to Antioch. When he arrived, he arrived, he witnessed the grace of God and rejoiced and began, look at that word, to encourage them with all the resolute heart that remained in him. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he started thinking, folks, we need some help here. Who can we turn to to help? And he thought, look at the next verse. Man, Saul of Tarsus. I'm going to go get Saul, and I'm going to bring him to Antioch. We need help, and nobody's going to be able to help. How do you think, how do you think oh, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, felt when Barnabas showed up? And he said, brother, we need somebody that's got the gift you've got real, real bad. And Paul says, man, i just sort of been sitting on the shelf up here doing the best I could, but not amounting to much. And they said, come on down, we need a man like you. Folks, you think he made a difference? Folks, at that point, the leader of the church and their missions movement is no longer Peter. Read the rest of the book of Acts. It's Paul. And it's Paul because somebody encouraged him again. And we have his ministry. Now, you know, Paul should have learned a lesson from that. He should have learned the importance of encouraging. And, you know, he, he didn't completely learn that lesson. <clears throat> you remember <clears throat> when he is on his first missionary journey, he and, and Barnabas go on a journey. And they take Barnabas' cousin John Mark with them. And the first place they stopped was Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. And when they finished their ministry there and they started to go on, John Mark left and went back home. Now, we don't know why he left and went back home. It might have been a good reason that he left and went back home. But Paul didn't think it was a good reason for him to go back home. And so he and Barnabas finished that journey, and you know when they got back, they reported how great things God had done through the preaching of, of, of the death and resurrection of Christ. And boy, it got in them, and Paul says, Man, that's great. Let's go again. And Barnabas says, let's do it. I'll go get John Mark. And Paul says, uh-uh. <laughs> He's not going. <laughs> uh-uh. He left us. He is not going with us again. Forget it. And Barnabas evidently tried to reason with Paul. And Paul says, no way. <laughs> he is not going. And so the Lord uses even division, folks, because Paul picks up another disciple Silas and they go on their way and Barnabas were not recorded what they did but they went and did their missionary uh, journeys with John Mark Paul didn't learn his lesson but folks listen Barnabas 
took Mark when Mark was down. You see, Barnabas was an encourager, and so he believed that when people had fallen, they could get back up. He believed God wasn't through with them just because they failed. Here's a man, John Mark, thinking, well, I'm of no good anymore. I messed up somewhere along the line, and Barnabas says, not necessarily. And you know what's interesting? When you get to 2 Timothy, that's the last book that we have written that Paul wrote to us. He's in prison, and he knows this is the last time. That's the epistle where he says, the time of my departure is at hand. Not going to be living long, long. And, and he writes to Timothy, and he says, come visit me. I'm almost all by myself. And then he said, when you come, bring Mark. He is very effective in the ministry. Bring Mark with you. You know what happened? Somebody didn't give up on him. Somebody encouraged him when he was down. Somebody lifted him up, and it made all the difference in the world in kingdom's work. People are not going to be effective at anything, and certainly in kingdom's work when that happens. Now, when did he become an encourager? Folks, I, I think probably happened when he got saved. You know, Lord opened him some money. But now, I also have to th consider this. He might have just had that kind of personality before. You know, a lot of ways God uses people is he uses natural gifts that they had already. And when they became Christians, those gifts just go to get sanctified and get used for the good of the kingdom. Yeah. And it may have just been that he sort of always had that in him. And when God saved him, he said, we're going to put that to good use. But it also might have just been when the Lord saved him that he got this vision of understanding of the need of people to be encouraged, that discouragement would absolutely destroy people's effectiveness. Folks, this, being an encourager is the responsibility of every believer. It's not something that, that everybody needs to do. Everybody can do it. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11, Paul wrote this, For God's not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Who was he talking to? Because he was talking to the whole church. Encourage one another and build up one another. And they must have been doing pretty well, he says, just like you're doing. You're doing a pretty good job with this, he says. Keep on doing it. But what's interesting, and I want you to see here, is he's telling that to the whole church. You say, but wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that there's a spiritual gift of encouragement? Yeah, it does. Now, does that mean that's the only people that are supposed to encourage? Well, it says some people just have the gift of giving. Are they the only ones that are supposed to give? No. Some people do. They just, it just comes easier to them. You know, encouraging, it just comes easier. I said, some of them do it without even thinking about it. it. It may be a spiritual gift that some people have, but all of us are called to do it. It just means some of us are better at it than others. And some of us just do it without thinking, where others of us have to really just stop and think about it. But he says it's something that all of us can do. Every one of us can 
do it. Let me, let me give you quotes of two. They just said this so much better than I could. So let me just read this to you. William Barclay said this. One of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. It's easy to laugh at men's ideals. It's easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. Folks, it's easy to discourage other people. Remember I mentioned last week, it's real easy to quit. You ever read a good book on how to quit? You ever read a good book on how to discourage people? No, because it's so easy to do that. Anybody can do it. It's easy to discourage others. The world's full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time, listen, a word of praise or thanks. Folks, a word. Let me ask you something. How hard is it to speak a word? It doesn't cost us anything. Just a word of, th- of praise, of thanks, of appreciation or cheer. Many times such a word has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such a word. Derek Bingham said this, the ministry of encouragement is open to Christians like it is none other. In other words, we have a greater reason and a greater grounds to be an encourager than anybody else. Christians have a new life in Christ. They have a powerful, all-powerful Holy Spirit to lead them into all truth and a heavenly Father who will protect and bless them eternally. If any people anywhere are qualified and equipped to ministry, the ministry of positive and healthy encouragement in a desperately discouraging world, it's the Christian church. Folks, we've got a message that nobody else has. We've got a God that nobody else has outside of Christ. We have a Savior. We have a Holy Spirit that empowers us. We've got a victory that's in front of us. We've got all the reason in the world to encourage people. And these two, I'm really thankful, hit it right on the head. Now, how can we go about encouraging people? Folks, one thing I think we can do is, is look, at, look at the people in our own lives. Uh, any, anytime you've been encouraged, stop back and ask yourself, what did, what did it actually take? What did a person actually do? Okay. And notice a lot of times it's nothing more than a word. You know, people can be encouraged by your actions. Folks, people are going to be encouraged by how you face difficulties. I have a friend right now. He's a member of my church where I'm a member. He lost his wife about a year ago, and she was sick for a long time, and it's something they saw coming, but he just sort of went through that pain and agony of every day watching her die. But I'm telling you, the testimony of his faith was so strong. Now, folks, I hope I never experience what he experienced. But I'll I'll promise you this. If I do, he is going to be on the front of my mind encouraging me. I'm going to say that's what he went through. Look how he handled this. Look how his faith in Jesus got him through. Folks, I don't know if you realize it, but your presence here today is an encouragement to people. They look and say, man, here's a group of us that we're all in this together. (laughs) You know, we we believe alike. We believe the same message. We we actually encourage one another. 
the faith of one of us can actually inspire the faith of others. How many times have, have, have people been in battle and, and, and soldiers been about ready to turn and, and run and they look and they see some people standing firm there and they say, man, if they can do that, so can I. That's going to inspire hope in me. That's going to inspire victory in me. It's going to encourage me to keep on pressing on. Folks, you're encouraging people when you show up in your Bible study class. Some of you teachers, you're not, how does it feel to study a lesson? <laughs> and almost nobody's there to teach it to. Folks, it's, you can pick up a, a pen and just write a note to somebody and just give them a word of encouragement. And I am so thankful for the people that God put in my life that have encouraged me along the way. At times, I think I just don't know. I had a, a, a pastor friend that, that uh, died now. It's been two or three years ago. <clears throat> but I church, served on a church staff with him. And I guess he did know how much it meant to me. Every time he would see me, I don't care what time it was, 9 o'clock in the morning, if he saw me somewhere, he would say, Bud, I called your name in prayer today. You think that'll encourage you? <laughs> Folks, to let everybody know you're praying for them, and I'll tell you something else you can do. You can memorize some scripture passages that encourage people. And when you see them, maybe for no reason at all. I got a friend that does this. <laughs> no, he'll just come up to me and say, let me give you a Bible verse. And man, he'll quote a scripture that is intended to encourage. And I think, man, I needed to hear that. <laughs> We can quote scripture into people. Folks, non-believers can't do that. that. That's where we've got a grounds to do this that nobody else has. And I would just encourage you. Stop and think of how people have encouraged you. Make, make a note of a few ways how they've done it. And then say, Lord, remind me that I can actually do this several times every day. And it'll make a big, big difference in the kingdom of God. My friends, you want a ministry? Do you want a ministry? I want to tell you, you've got one. God's given it to you, and he has equipped us in every way to fulfill it. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. For your word, Lord, that speaks to every area of our lives. Lord, we never cease to be amazed when we look at your word and it speaks to us and tells us not just how to get to heaven, but Lord, how you want us to live while we're on the road. Lord, I thank you for this ministry of encouragement that you have given to each of us. Lord, help us to take it seriously. And Lord, we would want to take this moment to give you praise and thanks for those people that you put in our lives that have spoken words of encouragement to us, that inspired us when we needed inspiration, that encouraged us and lifted us up when we were down. Lord, we thank you for that ministry. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to be sensitive to the opportunities that we have as your people to speak blessing into the lives of others 
by the ministry of encouragement that you have given to us. Lord, the greatest encouragement that we have is that you are our God and our Savior. And Lord, in that is our ultimate hope and encouragement. And we make our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.